Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Leadership for Organizational Growth, where we discuss the nature of leadership, common myths and theories of leadership, and best practices for developing the skills you need to drive revenue growth. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, six, two. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really looking forward to speaking with today's guest. She is a longtime friend of CFS, and I can't believe it's taken us this long to get her on the podcast. She's the Chief Innovation and Programming Officer at the Women Presidents Organization, which is a close-knit community of some of the world's most successful women business leaders. She's overseen more than 10 successful years of the 50 fastest-growing women-owned and led companies ranking. And she oversees all events, communications, and marketing for the WPO. Just a tiny, tiny little job, not busy at all. Um, She is based here in New York City. Welcome to the show, Kirsten Lynn. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thrilled to be here. I am just so, so glad that you could join me. And I just shared top-level kind of bullets, but I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure, would love to. So, hi, I'm Kirsten, and um, I moved to New York from Toronto about 15 years ago. Um, for an internship with the WPO. So, and I thought at the time I would spend six months in New York because that would be a lot of fun. And once I saw entrepreneurship in real life, I was hooked. I don't know about you, but I didn't learn about entrepreneurship growing up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both my parents were in professional services. So this was really a whole new world for me. And the WPO has allowed me to do a lot. And of course, we work with incredible people. So I'm challenged every day. I get to work on new things every day, and I've been lucky enough to learn along the way. So what more can I ask for, right? Absolutely. It's funny. You know, I have a I have a similar story. I mean, I don't I wasn't expecting to be in New York City short term, but I didn't expect that I'd be in one job for as long as I have. But when you have that excitement, that um, challenge, constantly meeting new people, learning new things, that's what I think keeps you engaged. And I see people constantly moving around in their careers. And a lot of times what I hear in conversation with them is they're looking for new challenges. They feel like they're in a rut at their current job. And if, you know, if if as an employer, you want to kind of keep people on longer term, giving them those diverse experiences and challenges and constantly new things, um, they're not going to necessarily get bored. They still might leave, you know, can't guarantee they won't, but it, it is a little bit better than constantly do the same thing every single day. Absolutely. And you know, I hear I'm an anomaly because I have been around for so long. But um, what the WPO did, and I'll share this, is when uh, there was a point where I might have been, you know, done with the current area of my work, uh, my boss at the time asked me to make a list of the things that I loved doing. And she gave me a job. She created a role where I was doing those things. Mm. So, um, you know, I couldn't be more grateful for the opportunities that I've had. Absolutely. Love that. All right. So, you are kind of an expert in a lot of things based on all of that experience. And <laughs> I would say one of the one of the core elements of WPO in, in kind of my experience with the organization is the, the focus on leadership development and on helping people really improve their their skills and learn and grow. That's not all that the organization is, but that's a key component. Um, and so you've been able to participate in hundreds of leadership <laughs> development yes. events um, on behalf of the organization. I'd love to hear um, so many organizations are interested in better developing their leaders. They, they promote people into leadership positions and then just kind of, you know, hope you do OK. <laughs> and I'd love Absolutely. to hear what are some of the core principles of really successful leadership development? What does it take to to really grow leaders in a way that sticks? Well, you're, you're bang on in what you're saying, totally. And leadership development, I think, can mean a lot of things. So mm-hmm. in my situation, it's about helping CEOs work on the business as opposed to in the business. Mm-hmm. So often, you know, these WPO members are pulled into the weeds And my job at the WPO is to expand the capacity of leaders so they can be the best they can be. So that's, you know, that's the work I'm doing. So there are a couple, a couple things that need to be in place, I think, for effective leadership development. 
And I think the the number one thing is that you're in a supportive place where you can be honest. So that might need uh, confidentiality. It might mean you're in a small group as opposed to a big group. But a lot of things come out when you're doing this work. So you need to be in a place where those things can come out. And I think mm. that's, that's number one. Absolutely. That's so important, especially for leaders, because you have sometimes limited opportunities for for that level of support and the kinds of, of support that that might be. I've seen that a lot in situations where you might have a, a large group of people. Maybe this is a customer service group or an inside sales group, and you promote somebody to a management role within that group. Suddenly, they are not able to share their concerns as much with the people who used to be their peers. Right. Because it would be inappropriate or it would seem like they're whining or their right. concern might be about the person that they would usually vent to. Right. <laughs> and and the, the higher you rise in your career, the more you're separated from the people who, again, might have been your peers in the past. And you just have a consistently smaller and smaller and smaller group of, of people within your organization that you have the ability to really share your concerns and your challenges and your struggles with. So as a, as a senior leader within the group, um, first of all, are you creating supportive ways, whether it's inside your organization or whether you're providing external support, external um, you know, resources for your group? But then also, you know, can you for yourself find those same things? And th there's only so much that you can find inside your organization before you might need to go outside is, is kind of what I'm hearing. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you're a CEO, you might not want to share all these things with your employees. Mm -hmm. So you know from Brene Brown that vulnerability is strength, right? But still, as you're in these positions, you may not want to share all your vulnerabilities with everyone that you manage. Absolutely. It's it's sometimes not appropriate or often not appropriate, Absolutely. right? If you have some concerns uh, uh, and uncertainties about the business and you share those with anybody on your team, uh, yeah. they will be, you know, potentially fleeing for the exits. Uh, it can create a sense of significantly greater uncertainty in them. And so the, the closer you get to the top, you know, it's, it's lonely at the top. And even if you're a VP of sales, you, you might not have anybody else in the organization who has a perspective on sales and understands sales at the deep level you do, who you can share with. And so whether you're at the top of the whole organization or you're at the top of your team, your department, um, your options are really limited inside the organization in terms of people that you can just open up with and, and really share a term we use at Criteria for Success is head trash. Sometimes you're just sharing all of your messy thoughts and mm -hmm. you, you'll be able to hear from real peers and people who support you. Um, I'm hearing a lot there. And and I think maybe the the, the concern under all of that, or, or maybe you know what's most valid there, or what we can most address is this one thing. And the rest of it might be just all of that, you know, again, we call it head trash. And yeah. Just being able to to share that with others is a huge relief. It's a huge benefit. And so many key leaders don't really have that. And um, that's that's really a glaring weakness. And then you think about, okay, do they go home to their, their partner um, within their friend group? Are they just trying to share this with people who don't necessarily understand the, the challenges and want to be supportive, but don't necessarily have the subject matter expertise to really provide right. support. Right. And Elizabeth, you touched on something that I want to go deeper into, mm -hmm. um, because I think it's really important, especially when we talk about leadership development, and that is getting the context of what's going on. I think in successful leadership development, what's important is zooming out a little bit. You've got to get to that 30,000 foot you know, level because Often, I mean, with WPO members, they're coming in with very uh, specific issues or asks. And what I would urge is that start with your competencies. Start mm. with what you're great at. You know, do the assessments, the 
predictive index or strengths finder or Berkman assessment or 16 personalities, you know, there's a ton, but find out what you're working with first, get the context. What's the real issue? Because often when you identify the context, you might, it might mean that you're working on more focused competencies. Mm. So for example, you might come into this and think I need to improve sales, but what you actually need to improve is confidence. So when you're you're not working on this big, hairy, audacious, improving sales, you're working on a more focused competency. And I think in leadership development, that's really important. Absolutely. I, I really love that because what we often hear, obviously we're coming in, um, we're being brought in usually by a CEO or by a by a vice president of sales or a you know chief revenue officer. And so often that concern is just performance, just, you mm-hmm. know, I need more sales that's not specific enough. That's not helpful enough. And to really understand, is this an accountability issue? Is this a, an under-resourced issue? And, and you're getting the most you can out of the people that you have. Is this um, uh, an expectations are misaligned with reality issue? Is mm-hmm. this a training and development issue where you've got some underperformers? Um, is this some level of communication? Team? There's so many different things right. that could be contributing. And the the less context you have, the more you're forced to provide kind of a broad brush um, suggestion or idea. And so whether it's through uh, a process of exploring the context behind something, you know, as you said, whether it's the assessments and, and other things, or whether it's through having a peer group, having a group of people who have known you for a while and um, can can remember what you might've shared in the past and and maybe bring things back. That's a huge benefit in terms of not wildly pivoting from one idea to another, to another, which can really Mm -hmm. help if you don't have that context. Exactly. And it might be all of the things you mentioned, you know, they might have Mm -hmm. to work on all of those things. And in in reality, that's going to mean more work, but at least it's going to be focused work. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes it's even just, what are you, going to be able to tackle first and what's important to tackle first. And right. if if you've really done some level of assessment, some level of figuring out what's wrong, if you can prioritize and say, okay, this is, this either has to come first because of something, right? A lot mm-hmm. of times maybe sure. you don't have systems and processes in place. And you're like, you know what, we really need to get to work on, on improving the system so that everything else goes around it. But um, if you don't have limiting factors like that, to be able to really intentionally choose a plan that is achievable, (laughs) that is realistic. Um, That is something that, again, when you're looking to develop yourself as a leader, figuring out where you're going to focus your attention and your team's attention is really critical because if, if you're spreading it out in too many places, nothing is going to get done really effectively. Exactly. Exactly. You're just spread too thin. And, it, and the context matters. The context matters in terms of the team you're working with, but also in terms of the situation. There's, there's a great article from McKinsey where they talk about why context matters in leadership development. And they talk about the broad brush uh, approach that you mentioned and how that will fail because mm-hmm. um, a, a great leader in one situation may not perform as well in another so the one size fits all leadership development won't work. Absolutely. And it's something that certainly I've seen organizations put together, you know, a curriculum, a program, and it mm-hmm. doesn't hurt at all to have, you know, here are some broad skills that all of our leaders need to have. Here's how you coach people. Here's how you um, interview and hire people. But then if, if you're not doing some level of personalization of, of customization at an individual level, you might have one person and they already have a lot of these skills. You don't necessarily need to train them. You just need to make sure they, they understand your process, but then there could be whole areas that you kind of assume (laughs) that they might have. And they're like, no, actually I've never done that before. (laughs) Or even if they have it, they're taxing themselves to do it. It's not that Mm -hmm. they can't do it. It's that you're draining your employees by making them do it. Because it's not their skill set. Absolutely. I think of how many times there's an easy way to do something and a really hard way to do something. Yes. And 
a, a high performing individual is going to do it. They yeah. might just have to do it the hard way. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's the matter of even just picking the right person to do something. You know, if, if you asked me to put together a legal contract, not being a mm -hmm. lawyer, not being an expert in this, I could do a ton of research, look at a lot of different examples, and I bet I could do a good job. And it would take me, you know, some time. Yeah. <laughs> but I could reach out to an attorney and they have a template and it literally takes 15 minutes. And so um, kind of right. picking the, first of all, understanding, are these even reasonable things that this person should be involved in, right? Are, are right. there experts who could take this on so they don't have to? Um, and then if it really does make sense that this is a, an area of skill that they should be developing, you know, they don't have it right now. It's really hard for them right now, but you want to get to a point where it's easy, um, whether it's bringing in external training or, mm -hmm. um, you know, sharing within the organization. I'll say a project we're doing with one of our clients, it's so simple is um, we're evaluating different team meetings and pulling out best practices from each team and then providing those to leaders of other teams. And it's, it's so incredibly basic, but so often we find inside organizations, you have one leader who's really good at something and every other leader on the team could benefit from it. And yeah. that information isn't really being shared across. And I mean, this is the most comment, you know, observation silos aren't good, but um, it can be just incredibly powerful to create distinct opportunities for identifying and sharing best practices across your leadership group. Sure. sure. Actually, that's one thing that uh, Charles Bernard from Criteria for Success taught me. Um, he taught me about doing, I was doing a bunch of sales calls and he said, are there questions that you're asked repeatedly? And I said, yes, of course, it's the same questions repeatedly. Um, so he said, make up a sheet where you have all those questions written out and all the answers and then provide them to your team. So you're not the only one that can answer them. Because then now I have a list of these questions that come up every time and I have the answers right there. So anyone on my team knows exactly what I would say in that situation. And the, the questions are always the same. The questions are, is this valuable for my time? Is this you know, it, would this be good for my company? Things like that. So just having those things that make it simple and then providing them to my team takes the workload off of me. Absolutely. Cheat sheets and checklists and, um, you know, lists of, of questions and answers. There's a little initial time investment in putting it together, but it pays off exponentially when you don't have to be responding to one-off questions and situations you know all that information is is in the document in the playbook wherever it might happen to live yeah yeah i i really yeah. love that and i think with i mean what you're saying with leadership development is the same thing it's it's that work that you have to put in it's you know leadership development is not a keynote keynotes are wonderful and they're amazing mm -hmm. and they're you know useful and they have their place and you can get a lot from them so not bashing keynotes but Leadership development is an interaction and the work is primarily on the leader. Mm -hmm. So it's not a keynote where the work is on the keynote speaker. The leadership development is about you doing the work. So I think it's important to remember that when you're expanding yourself and your capacities, that it, it is about you working on them. Absolutely. And this is, uh, you know, as a, as a senior leader in an organization, or if you're leading a team, this is a really key criteria to look out for um, within your team members is who is pursuing leadership development. Um, you know, I see a lot of organizations where there might be somebody on the sales team who consistently offers to mentor new hires and they have developed that leadership skill and they, they care about it. They want to be better at that. And I think a key element of leadership development is developing leadership skills in people who don't necessarily have the title and whether they're going to eventually move into a new role with the title, with a job description that encompasses that skill set, or whether they've just grown as individuals and, um, and been able to experience the, the satisfaction of doing something well. Um, it, 
it really is a distinguishing factor on the team when you see those people who are already stepping up into leadership and and kind of demonstrating through that behavior that they want to grow. And back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, those are the people that you see leave the organization if those efforts aren't noticed and appreciated and supported. Sure. Sure. And I mean, with leaders, I think people come forward and think that there are natural leaders or natural born leaders. You hear people Mm -hmm. say things like that. And I would argue that it's characteristics. And I think Mm. that scope is broadening now. You know, you hear Susan Cain talk about uh, quiet, her book, Quiet, talking about introverts and how they're how they lead differently and how we need introverted leaders. They just Mm -hmm. lead differently. So I think with leadership as a whole, you can learn to be a leader. I think you can't, just like a muscle, you just have to work it a little bit. And I think often with any muscle, you know, you practice, you train, but I think you need to implement it in the company. So when you, when you have these leadership development moments, you need to put it into what you're doing, whether that's tracking or measuring, but, or making sure it's infused in the company culture, whatever you're doing, it has to be practiced. So I think, I think people can learn. Yes. I, I really love that. It's, there's, there's so much these ideas about things being natural and inborn. And certainly there might be some people for whom leadership comes a little more naturally, but Mm -hmm. if you want to get to, to a a really top level, if you um, are are at a top level and want to stay there and want to be successful, it's, it's not going to be something that you were born with, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, it's going to be the work that you're doing day to day to keep your skills up and improve them. Um, exactly. And that leads into what I wanted to talk about next, which is a specific skill and a specific um, thing that a lot of people struggle with. So, you know, when it comes to WPO, obviously leaders join with the goal of, of learning and development and growing and, and helping their organizations. But they also join to build a network of real peers, people who, as we've been talking about, can understand their concerns, can can really speak to them at, at a level that's that's understandable and that's, that's the same as they're experiencing. So I'd love to hear if you've got um, best practices either that you've used personally or that you've seen some of these top performers really um, leverage. How do you see people building and maintaining a really quality network of peers, of CEOs, of key leaders who, who can provide that level of support? And gosh, how important is that, right? I mean, how, how amazing to have an amazing network around you. And look, it's lonely at the top. And that's something I hear from our members all the time. So the importance of having that network is, I can't even put a number on it. It's unquantifiable. It is to have people around you who can affirm what your questions are, what you're going through, you know, what, what, if you're doing the right thing, that is priceless. So the importance of having a network, whatever that looks like, um, is, is just so, so important, especially as you lead companies. And I think during the pandemic, um, people really looked for their community. Mm-hmm. They really looked for their people. So there are communities popping up for everything. I know in my area, you know, if you own a schnauzer, there's a community for you now. <laughs> it's everything. And I think finding the right community for you is really important. So do the due diligence, first of all, because you're going to end up joining a bunch of different things and then not getting the value from it and being upset that you you bought into these things, but you're not getting anything from it. So you want to join whatever network or be part of, if it's not a joining situation, a network that's important to you. And that means that their values align with yours, that mm-hmm. they are driving toward what you're driving toward and have people there that are doing the same things that you're doing, having the same conversations that you're having. So With the WPO, I think what's really important with us is that you're giving as much as you're getting. Mm -hmm. And that can look like a lot of different things. 
Um, I will say that about 70% of our members do business with each other, but it's not what, what we started for. You know, like that, that just happens because all of the women in the room are driving towards business goals. And that's what we stand for. So I think putting in as much as you're expecting to get out is important. Absolutely. When, when I hear people talk about maintaining or leveraging a network, a lot of times the, the, just the default perspective is how do I get things out of my network? And that's fine. I mean, the, the, the time and effort that it takes to, to build and grow and maintain a network, you do that not just for the number that you're going to see of how many connections you have on LinkedIn, but um, there, there is a, a goal of getting something out of that, right? Otherwise, it would be kind of wasted time. But if you're just thinking about how can I get out of it, eventually nobody in your network will want to talk to you <laughs> and um, you really are, are limiting your potential. And the, the way that we see networks grow, whether it's within an organization like WPO or, um, you know, maybe there's, there's a community of business leaders in Columbus, Ohio, or, you know, whatever it might be, um, you really see, as you said, opportunities to work together naturally arise because when you understand yeah. somebody's business you're going to say oh we could we could do a joint venture you Absolutely. could provide the service that that i need or that i'm getting from a company i know nothing about um i understand what it is that you do there's there's also just a, a real deepening of relationship that happens if you embark on any sort of a project together where you can have a, a surface level relationship with somebody for a long time Mm -hmm. And then let's say you hire them or they hire you and something difficult comes up and right. you encounter some sort of a challenge. I, I'll assert you don't know them as well as you think you do <laughs> until you've gone through that sort of a situation. And that can very well break your relationship or really deepen your relationship. And if you see somebody deal with a, a challenge in a way that you respect and appreciate and feel supported, that's a significant experience that you've had that you'd never get just by attending a bunch of, you know, dinners and, and charity yeah. events with the same person. Well, and that's a partnership, right? That's not a transaction. And that's what you want. You know, people do business with people. You want the partnership. You don't want the one-off. Yeah, and I, I see it in so many different contexts. Um, one of uh, a really great former client that we had, one of my, my favorite people to talk to at that client, was personally just really passionate about the arts, especially the opera. And so she was on the board of the local opera organization, association. I'm not sure exactly all the details of it. And it, through her passion for that, and it, she really was contributing, right? So this was outside the scope of her job. Her job had nothing to do with the opera, but mm -hmm. she was meeting people in this context and naturally kind of gravitating toward people who were in a similar professional realm as she was, because that's kind of easy to do. And then over the course of those situations, um, eventually, some of them became clients of each other. And that's not a strategy that I'm saying, everybody join your local opera board, right? But right. this is a, a really natural behavior that can happen if you're putting yourself consistently in spaces where you might find um, the right peers, the, the people who, who would be um, great support to you and people who you know that you could provide support to. Right. Um, this isn't looking for mentors, right? A, a lot yeah. of times people think I need to expose myself to people who might be mentors to me. You're going to feel like you don't have anything to contribute in that situation. But instead, if you're, if you're going to be surrounded by people that, that you know speak your language and could help you if you had a problem and you could help them if they had a problem, that's a fun and engaging place to just be in, right? You're looking forward to when you have a meeting as opposed to feeling like, oh, I have to be, you know, all set up 
I have to have my list of questions to ask of these super senior people, or I have to put a wall up around myself because I'm going to be the most senior person there. And I know everybody wants something from me and I'm going to have to be a step removed so that I don't get overwhelmed. Well, and can't you just tell when those people come up to you and they have their list of questions and they have, you know, everything that they need from that networking reception, you can tell this is not a real conversation. I'm not getting anything about you. You know, you're going through your list and I hope I'm providing answers, but I I can tell that this was one way. So the other, you know, what I prefer and what I, what I want to embolden more women to do is ask. So few women make the asks of what Mm -hmm. they're looking for, or even, you know, just in passing, you don't have to be confrontational about it. It can just be, I'm looking for a mentor. Um, And just putting it out there makes you transparent, makes you vulnerable, makes you more relatable to me. So I know what you're after. And if I'm interested in helping you, I would love to help you try and find that person. But so few women make the ask. Um, You know, at our conference last year, we we realized this and we realized that women don't ask for what they want. Um, It seems Mm -hmm. that men have an easier time doing this. So at the conference, which is 95% women, uh, we made our members stand up and turn to the person next to them. And one person asked something that they need from the person next to them. And the other, the other person asked them back for something that they need. And with all the women at that conference, we were sure that some of those asks got fulfilled. But you have to make the ask. Absolutely. It's, it's as simple as what we often hear from uh, from executive leaders as well as sales leaders is I want my team to, to get more referrals. I feel yeah. like the best source of good business is referrals. And then our first question is, okay, are people asking for referrals? Right. <laughs> and the, the most important step, if you're asking for a referral, is that you know what a good referral is and that you can communicate that to the potential referral source. Because if I just said, hey, Kirsten, do you have any referrals from me? And you don't understand what I'm looking for, mm-hmm. I'm not setting this up for success. But if I can be specific and say, you know, I, I really enjoy working with people like you who do this or who have these sorts of challenges and I love solving these problems. Do you know anybody who has problems like that? Or do you know anybody who is running a company of this size in this area. I mean, you can get very specific, but making asks in such a way that you're enabling the person that you're asking to provide you an answer or, or a response is so important. And that's something I think if you are hesitant to make the ask, you may feel more confident doing it if you've done the prep work of, really defining exactly what the ask is and what the answer should kind of look like. Uh, that that can provide a little bit more confidence in making the request and also likely ensure that you're going to get a better response than if you just willy-nilly asked for things that, that you weren't necessarily super clear on. Right. And I think that people want to inherently want to be helpful. Absolutely. But if it's too broad an ask, then it's it's too much, you know? Can you make a referral? It's too broad for me. But if you're looking for someone in the work that I do in this industry, I might have someone for you. Absolutely. And just in general, um, there are things you can do to make an ask easier for the other party. Um, Since we're on this example of referrals, and it is a really great thing that a lot of people get out of their network to say, I have a blurb about me that I'll send you. So you don't have to write up what you think I am and do and need. Instead, you can just copy paste, right? Um, Sometimes, again, this can help. If you're hesitant to ask, it might be because you think, if I ask this, I'm giving you tons of work and you're not going to do it or you won't be willing to do it or it'll, it'll offend you. But if you can ask in such a way that I'm super clear about what I'm asking for and I'm helping you with the, you know, with the information, it's, it's a little less daunting to ask right. in that situation. Right. And that's exactly it. You know, make it simple. So all of this to say, you know, have a network, participate in your network, come into your network insatiably curious, <laughs> always. There's, there's never a situation that I go to where I can't get something 
out of that conference, out of that conversation. You know, there's always something. So, you know, to come out of a network and say, I'm not getting anything from it, then maybe you weren't using it the way you could have. Um, you know, and, and give back to your network, whether that's participating in meetings or just attending, you know, being there is, is half the battle. Absolutely. And it's, it's funny, as you said, I've seen in organizations where people, you can get ideas and learn from companies wildly different from yours. And what can be really interesting about that is your industry might be kind of stuck in a rut and have a really limited view of what's possible. And suddenly you're talking to somebody who it seems like there's nothing in common and you have a spark of inspiration that you can bring back to your organization. And so the the siloing that we sometimes see within people who, you know, I only want to work with consultants who exclusively have experience in my industry. I only want to join networking groups and go to conferences and events with people who have experience in my industry. There's benefit to having sure. those relationships, sure. certainly, but um, that those kind of sparks of energy that you get from people yeah. who are really different from you, um, even just people individually who have different backgrounds and experiences, um, it's it's really fun to see how that can play out and the creative ideas and, and solutions that come out of that. Exactly. I, I watch company leaders of you know manufacturing plants talk to real estate companies and they collaborate on ideas and all, they couldn't be further apart, but mm-hmm. they're, they're getting how things are done and they both have bottlenecks in the same places. So it's, it's amazing to see that kind of sharing happen. Absolutely. Now, something I know you do in your role and, and something that you're just really interested in and passionate about is keeping track of trends and what's coming up. That's that's something you need to do in order to be successful in your job. So are there any trends that you're observing and kind of keeping an eye on? Super passionate about this. So excuse the excitement, but I, I love talking <laughs> about this. <laughs> and I think to look at trends, we just have to, we have to zoom out for a second because I want to just share that right now there's 12.3 million women-owned businesses in the U.S., so 90% of those are micro enterprises, and that is usually termed as fewer than six employees. So only 4.2% generate over a million dollars annually. 4.2%. And to me, that means, you know, especially women, we're still facing barriers, uh, barriers in growing, barriers in scaling, funding, especially, and women of color even more so. Mm-hmm. So I just want to like preface, give some context on what I'm seeing here on, you know, there's a small amount of businesses that are doing this amount and it should be bigger. Absolutely. We only, you know, we all benefit when the pie is bigger and you think of the potential partners you could have, the potential vendors that you could have, the potential clients that you could have if more of these companies we're able to get the support and the resources they need to be successful. You know, what what have we missed right. out on from companies that right. have just kind of slogged along at a very tiny level for a long time because they didn't get the support that they needed? Right. And you hear all these stats about this segment is growing really fast and, you know, women entrepreneurs are growing at this rate and that's wonderful. But my gosh, they're not growing as big. So, mm-hmm. you know, I a lot of trends and the trends I'm going to talk about are coming from the 50 fastest growing women owned led companies. It's a ranking that we do every year and we gather a lot of data from them and we gather data year over year. So some of these things that I'm seeing, I'm seeing some of the changes and I'm making inferences about them. So for instance, on, on the money front, and I'm going to stay there in the last two years. So the two mm-hmm. last two years of this listing, 30 to 40% of this list were 100% woman-owned. 100%. So almost half the list was owned completely by the woman, right? Mm -hmm. This year, only 16% were 100% woman-owned. Huh. Right. So interesting stat, but what does it mean? Absolutely. what What I think it means is that women are starting to give equity in their companies, uh, for different reasons, I think, but in terms of they might be uh, taking on strategic partners, mm-hmm. they might want 
to grow or scale. And that might mean taking on partners or they might be giving equity. Maybe they take on a CEO and they might be giving equity there. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a new trend, but it was drastic, drastic enough to mention. Definitely. That's huge. And as you said, there, there are all kinds of different reasons that that might be happening. And I'm sure that's um, some fun for you kind of exploring and, and talking to some of these people and figuring out how these changes have happened and why. Sure. And I think, you know, with women, especially, I think debt has been a bad word and this is a whole nother topic, but it looks like women might be more comfortable taking on debt as well. Because another one of the other trends I saw was in, in funding. So first of all, in the past two years, 74% of these women started with their own funds. So personal savings, friends, or family. And this mm-hmm. year, 64%. 64%. So it's down 10%. Which means to me that they're taking on private equity. They are more comfortable starting with a line of credit. They are you know, more comfortable taking money than they have been. I feel like women have had all their money with them to start the company and made sure that they didn't have to go into debt to start it. And I think that's changing. I, I would wonder, and this is just rampant speculation, but yeah. if seeing things like PPP loans and the Small mm-hmm. Business Administration loans and other things over the course of the pandemic might have given some leaders a taste of wow, when I get a a quick infusion of funds, um, this is what I can do with it. And and experiencing that maybe for the first time and having always maybe bootstrapped and, and, you know, oh, we got a new client. Now we can invest in this one thing. Um, It it can be really eye-opening what you can accomplish through funding. So whether it was through that or whether it's just a a change in the market that's, that's happening independent of that, that's really exciting because certainly there's there's risk associated with that and you don't want to be massively over leveraged but right. um bootstrapping and and you know straining yourself there there is only so far you can go right. and right. you're really missing out on a lot of opportunities and access to capital is a big topic and it's always mm-hmm. been a big topic for women and for women of color especially So I don't know if it's that there's more out there right now, or maybe it's just knowing where to look. Absolutely. You know, I see also just more and more organizations coming up to support women entrepreneurs and um, and women of color in business and in um, in funding. And the more we can have some concerted effort to address these discrepancies, the more likely it is that that we're going to see this. You know, there's there's only so much you can accomplish by just saying, "Hey, let's let's try to get more money out there and hope that some of it goes to women, right?" To, so to have yep. funds that are really um, focused on investing in companies led by women, led by women of color, led by other underrepresented groups, that's really starting to pay off, and it's really exciting when you when you see that. Um, that sort of taking off and, and the results that that's able to produce. Yeah, Elizabeth, you're right on. And I'm seeing it too. In these stats, private equity went from 6% in 2020 to 14% in 2021 to 22% this year. Wow. So private equity is really coming in in a big way. Um, you know, the other thing I'm seeing, and, and especially in the past two years, have been the mergers and acquisitions that have been happening with, with entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And I won't go into it too deep, but I, I will just say that it, it's called golden handcuffs for a reason. So, <laughs> uh, you know, just just make sure you know what you're getting into and who you're getting into it with. Absolutely. I really love that. It's something that um, as leaders, eventually you do get to the point where, where you might want to look at whether it's a merger or an acquisition. Um, and we see some companies that have grown really effectively through a series of mergers and, and acquisitions over time. And maybe others who really want to be acquired and just, um, you know, take a step back. And the as leaders, that's something to really think about your long-term plan. Um, something that we often hear from people is, okay, I want to be acquired. Have you taken any mm-hmm. steps toward that over the last 10 years? Right. <laughs> because making your business acquirable is definitely right. a skill. Well, and they will do their due diligence. So you need to, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just one way. 
Absolutely. You don't want to be surprised by any questions that they ask you and having to show them a number. And you're like, oh, I've never seen that number. Oh, that number's ugly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Oh, such great trends. Um, I, I love that you come with, with real data and, and stats because um, you you really can see the difference there and the changes that are happening. And I'm excited to see what, what happens over the, the coming years. Do these trends accelerate or just kind of maintain it at this current pace? But it seems like they're accelerating right now, which is a lot of fun. It will be fascinating for sure. So I'll keep you posted. Definitely. All right. I'd love it if you could share any resources that you might have for our listeners. These can be um, tools and resources that you find personally helpful or resources that you might share with others that that you found people really appreciate. Sure. I have a few. So um, the first one I'm going to say is an entrepreneurial operating system. And there are lots out there. But if you don't have one and you are an entrepreneur, I think they are extremely helpful The one we use is EOS, which is based on the book Traction by Gino Wickman. And it is just an operating system that helps us really structure our goals and our vision and things we call rocks, which are, you know, short-term goals um, and and helps us achieve as teams on on the WPO. So that's one thing. Another thing I'm going to say is obviously a peer group whatever that looks like. And please keep in mind that that could be different than a coach and a mentor, and you could use all three. Mm-hmm. So a peer group, people that are going through what you're going through, conversations that are being had where you're at. So find the peer group that meets you where you're at and not the one that's going to grow to you. Mm-hmm. And then the last one I'll add is we had a uh, speaker recently at our conference, Marcus Buckingham, and he is an entrepreneur, an author many times over. And his most recent book is Love and Work. And Hmm. I just want to share what he talks about just for a second. And he talks about you don't have to love everything you do, (laughs) but you do have to find love in what you do. And you do have to find that every day. So I think so often entrepreneurs feel like it's their job to make everyone love what they're doing as much as they do because it's their baby or it's their company and it's Mm -hmm. not your job. You know, it is the employee's job to find love every day in what you do. And it doesn't have to be everything. So in terms of one of the books that has made a difference for me in the past year, love and work by Marcus Buckingham. Totally. Oh, I'll definitely have to check that out because that, that can be really toxic in, in organizations when, you expect everybody to to love the business as much as you do. You expect right. them to love it in the same way that you do. And sometimes we see even uh, a judgment and, and even sometimes people get let go because they right. don't demonstrate their love for the organization the same way that you do. And so um, at an individual level, but also to to provide to your team, whether it's, you know, give your team the book and have them read it. But, you know, I might not love the day that I'm sitting slogging over Excel, developing a quarterly report, right? I might not yeah. love cleaning the bathroom, whatever it might be that that might be some level of responsibility in, in a job. You don't have to love every every task, but do you have an overarching passion for the result of what it is that you do? Are there those, those sparks of joy every day where you accomplished something, you helped someone, um, you, you get to see the, the fruits of your labor. And overall, that will contribute more to happiness than a kind of um, just just blind love for, for the organization. Yeah, yeah. That's where you see burnout in, especially like the not-for-profit space. Um, exactly. Everybody is super, super excited and has that love that, that doesn't take you everywhere that you need to go to, to deal with all of the challenges and problems you face. Well, in, in this era of silent quitting, mm-hmm. you know, like, please know that you are not going to love 100% of what you do every single day, but you need to find love in what you do every single day. Not everything, but there's got to be something. So, and those parks that you reference, Elizabeth, he he calls them red threads. So (laughs) find your red threads. Yep. Yeah. I can't help but to give an example because this really always stands out to me. Um, And I'm forgetting exactly who did this research. So hopefully we'll find it and share it in the show notes. But they interviewed 
hospital cleaning staff. And that's why I was thinking of cleaning the bathrooms. And they saw individuals who were significantly outperforming others. And when they asked them about their jobs and what they interpreted their jobs to be, most of what they said was not in the job description. Instead, they really viewed themselves as I'm creating a, a pleasant environment for that patient. I'm giving them, you know, maybe I'm, I'm changing the pictures on the wall sometimes. And so I'm giving them different things that they see. I'm, I'm creating um, that space for healing. And that reframing, that um, personal understanding of, of what it is that they do completely change the way, you know, changing a bedpan, you might not love yeah. that. <laughs> but if you view that as the comfort that you're providing to the patient right. who's in the bed, you know, obviously these are, these are not examples that are relevant to everybody, but it, there are some very unpleasant tasks that some people have to do. And if they can find a way to to frame those and, and to find love in what it is that they're doing, hopefully you sitting at your computer, you know, fussing at PowerPoint um, can can yes. find some love in, in that as well. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Kirsten, I have so enjoyed our conversation today. And I know our listeners um, have, have enjoyed hearing from you. So if they want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? And this was so much fun. So thank you so much, Elizabeth. And uh, you can find me personally on LinkedIn, Kirsten Wynn. And if you want to learn more about the WPO, it's women-presidents.com. All right. Wonderful. Thank you again for taking this time with me, Kirsten. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into the show today. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about, including links to hopefully that research that I mentioned and Kirsten on LinkedIn at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, six, two. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover it. And if you haven't yet subscribed, make sure to do that now. You can subscribe for free on whatever platform you're listening to us. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in your podcast platform of choice or email us if you've got direct feedback, questions, suggested guests we should talk to or or topics we should cover, podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester. Happy selling!